Would you please pray with me? Father, you know uh, the storms that have been raging in my mind and heart today, and I have, I have believed that my own blessedness would come from seeing those things stilled. I know because of what you've asked me to say tonight, I know that's not true. I know I will want your blessing. I will want to, to be alive and to have abundant life even after storms are calm. I know that I need you to stand up inside me and tell these storms to be still, but, but I need you more than any of those things. And I pray tonight as I speak and share um, that you, that your spirit, that you would send your spirit to minister between my mouth and the ears of my friends in this room. My words are going to fall flat unless your spirit works. May you be at work tonight um, bringing your son praise rousing minds and hearts to cast their entire lives upon him. I do not know the gravity of the stories that exist in this room and the circumstances and responsibilities and the storms that rage in everybody's life here. I know you are offering your kingdom to every single person though and that there is nothing in heaven and earth, which can stand between us and your love. Would you help us believe? Would you help our unbelief? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, tonight, I, uh, I want to ask this question, and I want to explore it all night. I'm going to use the word blessed a lot. Um, I want to ask you this question, and I really want you to think. What does it mean to live a blessed life? What would it mean if you lived a blessed life? What would that mean? For some of you, and for maybe for all of us, it might be helpful to think, who do you think is really blessed in our world? When you think, who is blessed? And we don't need to get super spiritual. That word, it means fantastic, joyful, happy, uh, like, like the best kind of life. Who's blessed in our world? What do you think it means to live a blessed life? Related to that, what would it take for you to really be blessed? What would it take for you to feel blessed? If you were blessed, would you know it? I want to do something tonight um, that uh, in the scope of things, it seems sort of silly and like it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but I think it really is. Um, I want to take just a few minutes to provide you with something that many of you have maybe never had, um, surely don't have on a regular basis, and that's silence. It doesn't seem like it should be that terrifying, but a couple of years ago, I had a friend who, um, I asked him, once what he was thinking about these, these thoughts he had in his head and he couldn't make sense of them. And, and the reason he couldn't make sense of them is he had zero silence in his life. Like he had never had time to stop and just think about what is going on in his mind and in his heart. And I said, brother, I'm pretty sure that the last thing you see every night is a screen turning off right before you crash. 
And we started talking about his life, and this is a few years ago, and I'm sure it's only increased, but that for most of you, that you wake up to noise. And you probably, even before many of you get out of bed, many of you, most of you probably, in fact, check your phones. Look at news feeds and notifications. First thing, right out of bed, before you get out of bed. Alarm goes off, maybe you snooze a few times. I don't know what kind of noise comes out of your phone. But then I'm looking and I'm responding to things throughout the day and, and, and I go take a shower and I listen to music maybe then. Or I'm talking to roommates that live in my house as I get ready to go and I listen to things in the car and on the way to class I listen to things or talk to people and then I listen to professors and I talk to people and all day it's watching and listening and reading and thinking and hearing and all, all these things. And then when I go home, it's the same sort of stuff. And, and as I'm laying in bed at night, I'm watching something on Netflix on my phone or my computer and either I turn it off and then go to sleep because I can't watch it anymore at two or three o'clock because I'm just so tired or it even just stays on and I pass out. And I think it's likely that for many of you, you could go an entire day without 10 seconds of silence. And so in some sense, I look at this and when I talk to older generations, they think that's strange that silence would be so daunting. But my friend who I, I asked him um, when, when I figured this out, I said, I wanna challenge you to just spend 15 minutes every night for a week. 15 minutes before you lay down in bed, I want you to turn off all your digital devices. Like, I mean, you can keep it on, just turn your alarm on 15 minutes before or whatever. Leave it over there and don't check it again until you get up in the morning. You're just sacrificing literally 15 minutes. Probably life and death is not going to take place during those 15 minutes and your notifications. And you'll see them all in the morning. Just, just don't check in for 15 minutes. I just want you to have 15 minutes where you aren't looking at something and watching something right before you go to sleep. And, and I, I thought that that might be like, oh, cool or whatever. And he was terrified. And I asked him why he was scared. And he said, because I don't know what's going on in my head. And I'm terrified to lay down there in my bed and just be overwhelmed with these, with these thoughts. And, and that's, that's in my mind right now. Um, and I, I've just talked for probably longer than I wanna be silent with you all. But, but I, want, I wanted to say that to give you a, a kind of grace. When I ask you to be silent, it's, there's gonna be sniffing and there's gonna be coughing and there's gonna be shuffling of feet and these sorts of things. And that's okay, have grace. It's not a big deal. We don't have to go, oh, my silence is ruined because somebody coughed or, um, or oh, that's awkward, somebody's phone rang. Like y'all, there's a lot of people in this room. Perfect silence is gonna be really hard, okay? Uh, but the goal right now is I want you to try to quiet down and I want you to put something in front of your mind and heart. See, one of the things we sometimes believe when we come into spaces like this, and it's really unhealthy, is we believe we're supposed to leave things at the door. Some of us come into places like this. We actually come thinking, I just want rest from that world or that world if it's the dorms over there or something, you know? But like you, you come in thinking, I don't wanna think about those things here. And brothers and sisters, our faith is at stake sometimes in that. Because if God is not Lord over the rest of our lives, what is this? Bring the mess right in here, all of it. The chaos, the anxiety, the stress, all of those things, bring them in here, lay them before him and say, God, what are you gonna do with these things? So I actually want you to do something that some of you may be trying not to do, and I apologize if this is um, harsh. I don't mean for it to be. I actually hope, I hope this is refreshing in some ways for you, um, although I anticipate it will be a little scary. Um, I wanna spend about three minutes in silence. Um, and I know a lot of you have a ton of stuff going on, tons of decisions, lots of decisions, lots of transition, lots of responsibilities in the last couple of weeks of the school year, thinking about the summer and stuff. I want you to think about this. I want you to put this in front of your mind. Why are you doing all the things that you're doing? The education, 
your roommate situations, the jobs and job prospects, your hopes and desires, put all of those in front of your minds. And I want you to ask this question with those, or take one, pick one. That's a lot to think about. Pick one thing. Will I be blessed? Will I really be blessed if my hopes are realized? Will I be blessed if my desires are met? Will I have a blessed life if I get what I'm fighting so hard for right now? And I don't know what you're fighting for. But for the next three minutes, if all of my efforts and hopes and plans go well, will I live a blessed life? So let's just be silent for about three minutes, which is a long time. Will you be blessed if all of these things go well? Father, may your spirit anoint our thoughts and our questions. For those of us who couldn't think of anything, may we know grace. And may we long for more space and time to discover what really is going on in our mind and our hearts. And for those of us who, whose minds were flooded with a whirlwind of things that we just couldn't make sense of because there's so much. Would we know grace? And would your spirit help us, you who know each of us better than we know ourselves and you who search your own depths and communicate to us who you are, would you help us make sense of our thoughts? Would you lead us with courage Help us to not be afraid of ourselves. And give us, um, give us honesty with ourselves. I know, Father, I was mindful that whether this sermon goes well or not does not dictate my blessing in your kingdom. And I thank you for freeing me of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of Jesus' friends, his closest friends, Matthew, um, tells this story of uh, John the Baptist. Uh, <clears throat> catching wind, like John was in prison and he catches wind of all of these things Jesus is doing. These miracles, these healings, these feeding the poor and, 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 and healing broken bodies and casting out demons. And he hears stories of all of these things while he's in prison. He's not seen them. He's just heard stories. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. John has his own disciples and disciple just, it just means student. If you ever heard that word, it's all it means, student. His students, the people that have sat under him learning from him, people that had some allegiance to him, he says, would you go to Jesus and I want you to ask him this question. I want you to ask him this. Are you really the one that God sent? Are you really the savior, Jesus? Are you really? I've heard rumor that you've done all of these things. Are you really the savior? And I think it's not a stretch for us to understand why he's asking that question. He's in prison. God's Savior came into the world and here he is in prison. 
You're doing all these great things, but Jesus, I'm behind bars right now for no other reason than that I really profess a faith in you. So, so while I'm standing here wondering if this is worth it, wondering what living a blessed life means like, I don't think it means being in prison. Are you really the one that God sent? And if you remember the story at all, or perhaps you've never heard it, that's okay. John um, and the prophets had, pro- had prophesied this. God had told that this would happen. John was the cousin of Jesus, um, a little older than him, and, and he was telling everybody that the Messiah is coming, that the one sent by God is coming, and he's the first one to point Jesus out and call him who he is. This is the one sent by God. This is the one we've been waiting for right there. John is baptizing people in a river as Jesus comes, and Jesus gets baptized. It's this crazy story. And in response to all of that stuff, somebody starts talking to John about things. And John has one of these statements that at least for me, I've come back to a number of times because I feel like it's something I'm supposed to learn from where John says, he must increase and I must decrease. It's really a weird deal. Like I just think there goes John losing his job. Like John literally just kind of lost his job. Like he was preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus showed up. What's he gonna do now? Really, I mean, prophets had spoken to this guy and he's not even, he's like 30 years old and three months or something. And so he's got the rest of his life to live and he just lost his job and he says, he must increase, I must decrease. And I've thought about that, that passage or, or John's statement so many times because I think, man, I wish I, I wish I had that faith. I wish I had the faith of John that, that when I see uh, particular callings in my life or roles that I have or things that, that have, have, have brought me notoriety, Thousands of people are coming to the river for me to baptize them. I'm John the Baptist. People say I'm the the new incarnation of Elijah. Jesus has showed up. I must decrease. And I've often looked at that and thought, man, I wish I had, you know, that kind of faith. That I would desire less of me and more of him. But then I come to this passage in Matthew chapter 11 where John is behind bars. Where he's in prison. And I see in so many ways that John and I are no different. I have made, some of you, if you've known me for a while, I have made very bold claims of faith. Like you can find me in history saying things like, oh, I heard God tell me. (laughs) I know this about God. I trust God. I talk about faith as if it's something I'm full of sometimes. But it's not all the time. It's not all the time. You can also find me crying out. Are you there, God? Are you really who you said you are? Can I trust you? Is this whole thing a joke? One of, one of, the, one of the scenes that I remember feeling the most vulnerable in was on a, a mission trip to the Dominican Republic with the house. And there was probably, I don't know, 60 students or so there. And we were sitting in this morning devotional time. This is, maybe sounds really, this feels intense for me. You guys probably don't think it sounds like a big deal, but it's really dramatic for me. Uh, there was this morning worship time and there was this sort of kumbaya thing going on, right? Somebody's playing an acoustic, this handsome Christian guy is playing a guitar and girls are swooning and you know, every, every other guy's, anyway, whatever, that's happening. And we're talking about Jesus uh, and, uh, and it's wonderful morning Devo time. And I'm sitting on the steps, like going down out of this little pavilion area and I'm looking at the sky and I'm, I'm not technically leading the trip, but I'm the associate director with the house at the time, right? Like, I mean, I'm a a leader in the ministry and I'm sitting on the steps and I remember them singing this song behind me and I'm looking at the sky and I'm thinking, this whole thing better not be a joke. So I was thinking, and I thought, oh my gosh, like if they knew, 
Like if they all knew, these people behind me knew, and here, I, I mean, am I supposed to be a leader in this ministry? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I, th I think, maybe because of my position, I don't know if that scares some of you or whatnot, it's all right, I guess I don't care too much, but we can talk about it if you want, that'd be fun. But, um, but I, don't, I think many of us can understand it if we really think about our own experiences. Like when our circumstances don't match up with what we think they should be as it relates to God. I, I do my quiet times every day. I, I have a friend who, who um, was, grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, became a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Um, now, I, I don't know actually now, a couple years ago, he, he ended up saying, I don't know if I call myself a Christian anymore. And when I asked him why, he said, I did my quiet times every day for three years. He missed seven times in three years, three years. Seven mornings, he didn't do a half hour quiet time. If you don't know what that means, that's totally okay. Um, he woke up, he did some kind of like ritual of prayer and reading the Bible for 30 minutes. And one of his biggest disappointments is he said, for three years, I missed seven times and I don't feel like I got anything from it. And if I'm him in that moment, I, that makes some sense to me. Is this real, God? I thought that if I did these things, my circumstances would be different. I thought I would feel you. I thought I would know you intimately a lot better. If God is all powerful, if God is really good, if he's really those things, how come 147 people died on a college campus yesterday? How come that happened? Are you really the one that God sent, Jesus? Why did that plane crash? Why did my parents get divorced over and over again? Why did we break up when I thought this was the one and I thought you told me I was gonna marry her? Why do I have to work so hard and see so little fruit when others seem to have so much and they don't even care? Why do I feel so lonely? Why can't I silence the thoughts in my head? How come I can't be better? When we feel these ways, because that might actually, if Jesus didn't make the claims that he made, then we just chalk it up to the fact that the world sucks sometimes, survival of the fittest and everything. But here he claims to be God. This is what he looks like, healing and feeding, all-powerful, sustainer of the universe, the redeemer, the savior. These sorts of words come out. God is love language. These sorts of teachings. And when I, I, I think about that and I look at my experiences and I'm trying to match them up, sometimes don't we all just go, are you really who you said you were, Jesus? I don't think, I, I, I think we can understand John the Baptist if we think about that context for a minute. Is Jesus really who he says he is when our circumstances, are, when, when we don't feel, this is the word, I guess, we don't feel blessed? The anxiety that I feel, the relational dynamics that I'm going through, the pressure that's on me, the decisions that are before me, the way that I, I see myself compared to these other people, these, I don't feel blessed. Jesus, are you really who you said you are? One of the most obvious places to look for me in answer to this question is the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, I highly recommend it. It's Matthew chapters five through seven. It's the longest single sermon of Jesus in the New Testament. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage. And, and it really is a snapshot. I mean, it's a whole long sermon, but it's a snapshot of what life looks like in the kingdom of God. When God reigns, when Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is thriving and flourishing the way it ought to be, what do things look like? Read the Sermon on the Mount. You can look at Jesus. He helps tell you about what you'll see when you look at him in the Sermon on the Mount. 
It's wonderful. Jesus, are you who you said you are? And my mind goes to something like the Sermon on the Mount because I go, well, who did you say you are? What did you say things would look like? Being sent by God, being the Lord God Almighty, being the creator of the universe, being the one who sustains us, being the, the savior, the redeemer, the resurrected king. What did you say your kingdom would look like? And this, uh, can you put up the first verse? This is how Jesus kicks off his sermon. He'd been doing a lot of these miracles around and people were, were coming alongside of him and pressing in on him and he steps back up on the side of this hill and he sits down and he doesn't retreat from everybody. He says these things in the presence really of his disciples and these crowds around him who were wanting to hear him because of all these things that he had done. And so he, and, and, and Matthew says, and he began to teach them and the sermon starts like this. This is how his sermons, this is what life in the kingdom of God looks like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You, and you can just leave this out until we shift. That would be awesome, Daniel. Thank you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Is this what the kingdom of God looks like? I don't know. At first, that might sound, I don't know if that sounds nice to some of us. I don't know. But aren't the blessed ones the ones who are rich in spirit? I mean, when we look around a room like this, when you compare things to your Bible study or your youth pastor or your church at home or the Christian friend that brought you, like, don't, don't, you, don't we usually think the really blessed ones are the ones that are full of the Spirit, that are rich in Spirit? And here Jesus says it's the poor. Now, surely uh, th those who are rich in Spirit are, are not um, uh, kicked out of the opportunity for blessedness. But it should be surprising to us when we think about this. The poor in Spirit are blessed Theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor who have nothing to offer at all, they have nothing to offer. They will be the ones who inherit the entirety of the kingdom. Their poverty doesn't, think, listen, this is important. Their poverty does not earn this. If one of you in this room or multiple of you in this room feel very full and rich in the spirit right now, we don't go, oh crap, I cannot be blessed. I must go and be poor in spirit so that I can get blessed. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, if you want to be blessed, go be poor. Those who are poor are not precluded from blessing. Those who are poor in spirit, the condition of poverty that they have, the fact that they have nothing to offer does not mean that they're not blessed. Quite frankly, they are blessed because they will inherit the kingdom. I think for some of us, uh, we can be really offended by this. If we fight so hard to be rich in spirit, thinking that we will get blessed. And then Jesus comes along and says, the poor in spirit are blessed too. So for some of us, if we're going after richness for blessing, Jesus is offensive. Because there's no need to do all this. There's no need to do all of that in order to be blessed by Jesus, in order to inherit the kingdom. Apparently, the poorest, the one of you in this room who is the poorest in spirit in this room Jesus is coming near to you saying, you will inherit his kingdom. Blessed, you are blessed. Those of you who are not spiritual giants, those of you who struggle to pray or even know what prayer means, those of you who have nothing to offer spiritually, you have no idea what you contribute to a church, to a small group, to your Christian friends. You don't even know what that means sometimes. Jesus says, blessed are you. Would you go to the next first? He continues, blessed are you are you who mourn, or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
those of us with sorrow upon sorrow who want to lay in bed all morning and all day and hide under the covers because of the sorrows that we feel, who mourn, who maybe those of us who, who, who maybe even if a particular circumstance isn't causing us mourning, those of us who's, who break in mourning for those who suffer around us, who look toward tomorrow every night and they can't decide whether or not they're hopeful for a new day or they're terrified at a whole other day of this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he goes on, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And everyone who doesn't think that they're worth very much in this place. Everyone. Everyone who would rather not be the center of attention. Everyone who's shy. Everyone who'd be terrified to stand up in this room. Everyone who in this place, when we start singing songs, hopes nobody hears your voice. Everyone who doesn't want too much in this world because the responsibility of too much freaks us out. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Those of us who are never satisfied with the righteousness around us. Those of us who are never full with the righteousness that we see but we're always struggling always struggling, always hungry, always wanting more righteousness around us. Well, those of us who've been hurt too much, and I'm struggling right now because part of me knows that for some of us, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, not so much outside of us, but even inside of us. Some of us in this room who know that we are not righteous enough, and we hunger for more righteousness in our very own lives, but we have not seen it yet. Blessed are you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And the merciful, we all know, the merciful get stepped on in this world. Those who do not return evil for evil, those who, who repay good when somebody hurts them, are abused, are taken advantage of. Blessed are you. And blessed are the pure in heart, God, those of us who annoy everybody else because nothing is good enough ever. Who see, who, who have an idea of purity but have never actually seen it. And so you struggle with yourself and with others and with the whole fractured world because of a purity that you want so bad. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. For all of us who stand in the middle of conflict and nobody ever gets us because we're fighting for all sides and so every side is frustrated because we stand in the middle of a battlefield wanting peace, getting hurt and torn and wrecked. Blessed are you and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for all of us who suffer for our own good, who live out of righteousness and, get, and, and suffer and are responded to with rebuke or frustration, who are called names, who are, who are killed. Or, or those of us, because it could also mean this, or those of us who suffer because somebody else has an idea of righteousness that brings suffering to you. You are hurt in the name of God by somebody else. Blessed are you. When Jesus begins to talk about what his kingdom would look like on earth if it, if it was thriving, 
he kicks it off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If all of these are blessed by the friendship of Jesus, then who could be excluded? Don't you see, if you haven't heard this before, don't you know that there is no condition that can keep you from God and his blessing? None? None. Meekness, mourning, poor poverty in spirit, never being filled with righteousness, but just wanting it, not being satisfied yet. It's a the blessing is offered to every single one of you. And so John in prison, let me go back to him for a second, full of doubt and questions, even though he saw Jesus get baptized and a dove descend upon him and he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Pretty wild moment. Is sitting in prison behind bars and he says, are you the one that God sent, really? And wouldn't we ask the same thing? And Jesus responds by saying this. This is, how, this is what Jesus says in response to John's disciples. Go tell John this. Tell them, he has another, it's called a beatitude. It's a blessing, a blessing conveyed and given. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That language is strange to us, but brothers and sisters, that's grace, okay? Not blessed is the one who never doubts about me. Not blessed is the one who stays confident and full of the spirit all the time, who never has poverty of spirit. Not blessed is the one who saw me work once and never struggles to believe that that was a real thing. No. Blessed are you, John. God bless you, John. Because in the midst of all of your doubt and in all of your questions, you are still casting your lot with me. You're still sending your disciples to let me speak into the midst of this. Blessed are you, John, for not giving up. When your circumstances, when your understanding of blessing doesn't match up, with what you think I ought to be doing, blessed are you, John, for not being offended by me and turning and walking away. Friends, I don't know how your grades are gonna turn out this semester. Probably however you turn them out. Probably. But blessed are you who get straight A's. And blessed are you who flunk out of college even though you have an IQ that would mean you could get A's. And blessed are you who struggle to get C's. And blessed are you who will be married too young. And blessed are you who will be married too old. And blessed are you who will never marry. And blessed are you who have kids way too early or way too late or can't have them or has too many or has too few. And blessed are you who finds passions in your work and blessed are you also who works a boring, tedious job diligently for 40 years. And blessed are you who changes careers five times. Blessed are you who have never dated. And blessed are you who have been broken up with a dozen times. Blessed are you who has had sex with more people than you can name. And blessed are you, the virgin, who wonders if it's worth it. Blessed are you and all of these friends if you are not offended by Christ. God bless you not because any of these things make you blessed. Don't you see that? In all of these things, we have these ideas that if I just had this, I would be blessed. If I just had this, I would be blessed. If I just had this, if I didn't have this, I would be blessed. Blessed. 
And Jesus says, there is no condition that can keep you from my blessing, none. Just don't turn from me. I am the blessing, me, and the kingdom I alone bring. God bless you, not because any of these things make you blessed, but because Christ has drawn near and none of these things keep you from him. Friends, we just celebrated Easter. The great corner of history has been turned, all right? The great fact of history has been turned. Death is the reality for every single person that has ever lived. It is 100%. We all die. All of us know that. That has been happening since the, since, since the fall of creation that has happened. But on Easter Sunday, something new happened. New life came out of death. That corner has now been turned, and Jesus did that as an, offer, as, a, as an example of what is to come for everybody in him. That is a fact of history that has been turned. Uh, sorry, that has turned all of history. The Lord has risen, and he has bid us to come and to die. He's asked us to die, and what I mean by that in this context, although it could mean any number of, it means a lot of things. It could mean any number of things. It does mean quite a few things. He's asked us, for one, to lay down our idea of what it means to live a blessed life, to be thin, to be rich. Not the 1%, but probably the 10%. To be popular, to be powerful, to be relevant in our culture. To be married, to have kids, to not have kids for two years after we get married. Whatever our cultural definition of success is, our our cultural understanding, our our conditioned sense of blessing, let that die before him. The one who says, let me tell you what my kingdom is like, the poor in spirit are blessed. None of you came up with that. None of you did. That is not what we think it means to be blessed. And here Jesus says, they're blessed too. And let us find our blessing in him. The reign and righteousness of Christ and his kingdom are available to us right now, every single one of us, if we would just put our trust in him. If you are rich in spirit, you already know this. But if you are poor in spirit, he has told you too that you are blessed. Not a one of us is left out. And all that is left is for us to trust him. And blessed are you if you're not offended by that and by him. I wanna end tonight by taking another minute or two of silence. And what I want you to do is I want you to ask. Rather, I want you to decide. Way more daunting. I want you to decide whether or not you will be offended by Jesus. Whether or not when you are poor in spirit, mourning, wanting peace, having no clue what you're supposed to do with your life, or just inching across the finish line of the semester, When we are any or all of these things, will you trust that blessedness does not reside in those things? In those things, but in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Let's take another minute or two of silence. Jesus says, blessedness is not found in those things. It is found in me. Will you decide whether or not you're offended by this?
Father, I thank you right now for the poor in spirit in this room because every single one of them reminds me that I do not earn your affection. That there's nothing I can do to angle for more blessing in your kingdom. That you offer it to me freely at great cost to your son. And you do the same for everybody in this place. Would you give the poor in spirit in this room hope and faith that they could inherit and that they will, if they are in Christ, inherit the kingdom? Would you comfort those who mourn? Would you bring peace to the peacemakers? Would you satisfy those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would you speak to every person in this room about calling? In your scriptures and in the church and in their prayer, would you do that? Would you mend the broken relationships in their life? Would you free them from the bondages and prisons that they are in? Father, will you do the things that Jesus said your kingdom is about? He came and he said, I have come to set the captives free. I know that you are about these things. I also know that our blessedness is not in the actual results of any of these things. It is in Jesus. So may you do battle with the idols of our hearts and our minds. Would you come at them and undermine them and, and dismantle them and free us from the enormous weight of trying to figure out how to get blessed in this world. May you instead just bless us with your son. And then may we actually move out into this world with great grades and wonderful relationships in great quiet times where we only miss seven times in three years and silence for 15 minutes and all these wonderful things, but may we not do these things to get blessed. May we do them precisely because we already are in you. And we now want to see your kingdom flourish in our lives. May you bless particularly every single one of us who is poor in spirit and we actually all are apart from your son. Thank you that your kingdom turns this world's kingdom on its head. And that no one in this room needs to be standing up in front preaching a sermon. And that your scriptures would tell them all that I am a sinner as much as anybody or more. And that I have done nothing to deserve any of this and it is only by the grace of your son. May we praise you now because of your goodness, knowing that none of our praises are in your affection but that you have given us truth and history and you've sent your spirit to live inside of us who are in you. And the deep in us calls to the deep in you. And we praise you because you are worthy, God. Blessed Father, I ask for your blessing upon everybody here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.